Welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Tuesday, February 13th. I'm Dagna, your reader today. Today's five-day forecast um, for uh, it'll be mostly cloudy and mild today with a high of 49 and a low tonight of 26. Wednesday is going to be partly sunny and mild with a high of 48 and a low of 22. Thursday will be colder with clouds and sun with a high of 34 and a low of 20. Friday will be windy in the afternoon with a high of 32 and a low of 15. And then on Saturday it will be milder, it will be breezy in the morning with a high of 41 and a low of 23. Today's mini editorial was written by Roger L. Wilson of Mobile and Roger writes, the news media reported that consumer spending is up and our president has taken credit, saying the economy is getting stronger. My income has not gone up, but prices for what I purchase are continuing to go up. We are not buying more, we're just paying more. And then this was again written by Roger L. Wilson from Moville. Our first article from the front page is headlined Masters of the Air. World War II Army Airmen Found Love in Sioux City. And this was written by Nick Hytrek of the Sioux City Journal. Before they were masters of the air, Everett Blakely, Howard Hamilton, and hundreds of other Army Airmen were just young guys with downtime between training flights seeking fun in Sioux City. Blakely and Hamilton found much more than that. At a USO dance near the Sioux City Army Air Base, Blakely met Margaret Ann Spence and Hamilton met Geraldine Jerry Carr, two young women who had been classmates at Central High School. By the time the two young officers in the 100th bomb group were shipped to their next training base a couple of weeks later, Hamilton and Carr were married and Blakely and Spence were engaged. He was just a fellow I liked. I thought he was a gentleman. He called me the next day after the dance and asked me on a date. Margaret Blakely, now 101 and living in California, said of the night she met her future husband. They were engaged by the end of the week and the rest, as the saying goes, was history. A chunk of the history of the 100th bomb group is front and center in Masters of the Air, a nine-part miniseries currently streaming on Apple TV, the latest World War II drama series by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, who also were behind Band of Brothers and the Pacific. Masters of the Air brings to light the bravery men like Blakely and Hamilton showed while they and hundreds of B-17 bomber crews flew dangerous daytime bombing missions over Germany and enemy territories to knock out military and manufacturing targets. Through the first four episodes, viewers have become familiar with Blakely and Hamilton, as well as three other men of the 100th who are more prominently featured, pilots Gail Buck Clevin and John Bucky Egan, navigator Harry Crosby. In January 1943, just months before the events shown thus far in the TV series, all five men and many of the others seen on screen were in Sioux City, which by then had become a major training site for bomber crews and ground personnel and would remain so until war's end. Air warfare was evolving and heavy bombers such as the B-17 were new. Strategic bombing and formation flying also were new strategies and the men of Masters of the Air learned them here. Their time in Sioux City was foundational for that. 
It's special thinking. They spent a series of weeks there honing their craft, said Matt Mabe, a historian and board of directors member of the 100th Bomb Group Foundation, started by veterans to preserve the history of the men and their missions and now maintained by volunteers. The foundation plays an advisory role in the development of the mini-series. The 100th arrived in Sioux City in the middle of winter, greeted by sub-zero temperatures that members mentioned in books and articles published in the years after their service. Crosby wrote of stepping off the train in Sioux City. The initial nine degrees below zero blast had a definite sobering effect. It proved to be one of the warmer days. There was glazed ice on the ground, interspersed with patches of snow. On the concrete apron and the runways of the aerodrome, the ice was a solid two inches thick, making a fine, vast skating rink, but a treacherous place for flight operations. Despite the cold, the men of the 100th familiarized themselves with Sioux City. When not training, they frequented establishments such as the Glass Hat Bar at the West Hotel, the Rathskeller, the Oasis, the Beer Cellar, and the Alamo. They ate at the Savoy and Charlie Steakhouse was the supreme spot for sheer pleasure of the palate. With its hotels and bars, Sioux City was a soldier's promised land, Crosby said. He wrote the 100th gave it their stamp of approval. Temperatures during the 100th stay in Sioux City were frequently below zero, sometimes so cold that bomber engines would not start and training flights were canceled. It was a break for Blakely and the rest of the men seeking the warmth of female companionship. Jim Blakely, the second of Mar Everett and Margaret Blakely's six children, said this was an opportunity for the airmen. They had time to socialize. If not for the downtime resulting from the freezing temperatures, Everett Blakely and Margaret Spence might never have met. Born in Storm Lake, Margaret grew up in, in Sioux City on West 17th Street in a house that still stands near the present-day Liberty Elementary School with her mother, also named Margaret. Maternal grandparents, Mame and Jim Flanagan, three uncles and two aunts. A 1940 Central High graduate, Spence attended Briarcliff College. USO dances at the club near Sioux City's Air Base were common then, and the young Army men needed dance partners. Margaret Blakely said, There were society ladies, and they used to take young ladies out to the dance with the officers at the club. They asked me if, I, if I'd go out, and I said, Yes, I'd go. We went out to the base and danced with these fellas. At, at a dance one January night, Margaret was approached by Blakely, a young pilot who grew up in Seattle. Everett asked me to dance, she said. I just danced with him one dance, and the next day he called me. And then the son, Jim Blakely, said, They must have gotten along well, he proposed about a week later. It wasn't the sweeping romance one sees in the movie. Son David Blakely, the third of the Blakely children, who lives near his mother in California, said his mother was the practical one in the couple and doesn't describe their meeting as love at first sight or being swept off her feet. Everett was more of a romantic and perhaps thought that because of what awaited him in Europe, he might never again have the chance to experience love and marriage. David Blakely said, I think my father was going off to war and this was a good looking woman and he thought, what the heck? Margaret matter-of-factly said she accepted Everett's proposal, even though they'd only known each other for a few days. 
When he asked me to marry him, I said, well, there's a difference between you and me. I'm a Catholic and your dad is a Mason. And he said, I will never, ever interfere in your faith. At first, he said we would get married in Sioux City. Then he got transferred to Boise. Two months later, Margaret and her mother boarded a train to Idaho, where she and Everett married. Howard Hamilton didn't wait that long. Before he left Sioux City, he and Jerry Carr had already married. After the men had shipped out to England in May 1943, Margaret and Jerry moved to Chicago with Crosby's wife, Jean, to get jobs and await their husband's return. Margaret was a receptionist at Owens Corning. Jerry performed as a roller skater with the Wrangley Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus. Meanwhile, their husbands, as shown in the TV miniseries, risked their lives in mission after dangerous mission in the skies above enemy territory. Like their wives, Blakely and Crosby also were together. Blakely, the pilot of the B-17, just a snappin', and Crosby, the navigator. Hamilton was a bombardier on another B-17 that was shot down during a mission over Munster, Germany on October 10, 1943. He was taken prisoner and spent 19 months in a German POW camp before he was liberated in May 1945. Blakely and Crosby had close calls of their own, and a harrowing mission on October 8, 1943, led to another wedding between a Sioux City woman and a member of the 100th. In an article he wrote for the 100th Bomb Group newsletter, Jim Blakely described how his father's bomber, with two of its four engines destroyed, shot down a record nine Nazi fighter planes as it limped back to England after the bombing run. Finding the nearest airfield, Blakely crash-landed the bomber, coming to rest after slamming into a tree. Ground crews found 800 holes made by German bullets and flak before they stopped counting. Blakely was okay, but his co-pilot, Charlie Villa, had been severely wounded when his hips were struck by flak projectiles, and he was transferred to Walter Reed Hospital near Washington, D.C. At that time, Margaret Ann McDonald, a Central High classmate of Margaret Blakely and Jerry Hamilton, was living in Washington, D.C. and worked near the hospital. Margaret Blakely called McDonald, asking her to go visit her husband's co-pilot. McDonald made that visit and many more. In July 1944, Margaret Blakely was Margaret McDaniel's bridesmaid as she married Via, becoming the third member of Central High's class of 1940 to marry a member of the 100th Bomb Group. At least two other men of the 100th also met women while they were in Sioux City, Jim Blakely said. As the stories of the men of the 100th unfold through the remaining episodes of the miniseries, viewers will see more and more of their legacy. Though not addressed in the series, that legacy is rooted in Sioux City, where crews began forming bonds with one another that would last a lifetime. Many of those men, seen portrayed on TV, could have been seen in downtown Sioux City enjoying a good meal or a drink. Any bar or restaurant in town that, at that time, chances are these guys passed through them. Once they returned home from war, Blakely and Hamilton reunited with their Sioux City wives. According to information provided by Jim Blakely, Hamilton earned a Ph.D. in engineering and eventually became chairman of the University of Pittsburgh's engineering department. He and Jerry had four children, and she was a paralegal, earning a college degree at age 63. Via became a lawyer and had four children before he died in 1965. His wife, Margaret, later earned a degree in social work and became a counselor. 
Blakely remained in the service. He and Margaret moved frequently, with assignments in Colombia and South America, the Philippines, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Blakely was the head of the Air Force ROTC at Notre Dame and later served in Germany and France. He retired from the military in 1968 as a lieutenant colonel and worked at Lockheed Aircraft before retiring and moving with Margaret to California. They returned to Sioux City periodically to visit relatives still living here. Jim Blakely said she came back when she could. My dad really enjoyed Sioux City. Of the Sioux City brides and their husbands, Margaret is the sole survivor. David Blakely arranged for a movie theater to share, show the premiere of Masters of the Air for his mother. Margaret said it was hard to follow who, her hus who was her husband, though to be fair, actor David Shields, who portrays Everett, doesn't look very much like him, and during much of his screen time he appeared wearing an air mask while in flight. Regardless, she enjoyed it. I thought it was a terrific story, she said a story in which Sioux City played a minor role in the men's performance of their missions, but a major role in how some of them later lived their lives. I will now move on to City, Sioux City Council news. Council okay Siouxland Splash Development. The Sioux City Council, by voting in favor of its consent agenda Monday, approved a development and minimum assessment agreement for Siouxland Splash, a water park slated to open in summer 2025 along Highway 75. Frontline Development LLC, a group of local investors, intends to invest an estimated 12 to 15 million dollars to build the water park. Sioux City currently has several public pools and splash pads, but no water parks. Construction on Siouxland Splash is scheduled to begin this year. On January 22nd, the Council voted unanimously to accept Frontline Development's proposal to purchase land for the development of the multi-phase water park at 3820 Highway 75. Joe Zering, partner and co-owner of Frontline Development LLC, previously told the Council that the park will have a lazy river, a wave pool, and one of the biggest kid zones in the Midwest. We're going to have a huge slide tower with actually a really iconic slide. It's going to be the first one in the United States, Zaring said. We're going to really try and make a big impact for Sioux City here. We want to make this a really fun staple in the community. Under the terms of the development agreement, Siouxland Splash will purchase roughly 10 acres at the site at a cost of $22,946 per acre. The group of investors will make a payment of $100,000 at closing and the balance will be paid over five years. Siouxland Splash LLC will commit to paying up to $250,000 towards a proportional share of the street improvements and regional stormwater pond to serve the site. The group will also enter into a minimum assessment agreement of $7 million beginning January 1, 2026, which will continue for 10 years. In addition to selling Siouxland Splash LLC the 10 acres, the city in turn will provide partial 75% property tax rebates of the new incremental taxes created by the value added to the property. Tax rebate assistance is estimated at $1.7 million over the 10 years. The road improvements for an entrance to the site are also part of the proposed development agreement, which states that the city will apply for Iowa DOT RISE grant funding for the improvements. The city will also construct a regional stormwater pond to serve the site at an estimated cost of $367,000. 
complete the construction of the sanitary sewer line project and give Siouxland Splash LLC the option to purchase the remainder of the 42-acre site to accommodate future phases of the water park or related development. And now for some news briefs. Dunkin' Donuts coming to Holstein. The coffee and donut chain Dunkin' Donuts is set to open a location in Holstein next month. The full-size, full-menu Dunkin' will be inside the TA Express gas station at 2010 Indorf Avenue in Holstein, said Jeanette L. Davis, Vice President of Food and Franchise Brands with LV Petroleum. The target opening date is around March 18th to 22nd, Davis said by email. The shop is expected to employ 30 people. This is believed to be the first Dunkin' location in Ida County. The chain operates more than 13,200 locations in the United States and abroad. Quickstar plans Sioux City location. Quickstar is planning to open a convenience store in Sioux City later this year. The gas station will be at 2500 Glen Avenue, just off South Lewis Boulevard, near Floyd Monument, said Ben Label, a spokesman for Quick Trip, the parent company of Quickstar. Construction is expected to begin in July with a target completion date by mid-December, Liebel said by email. The Midwestern Quick Trip and Quick Star convenience store chain does not currently operate any locations in Sioux City. The nearest Quick Star is in Lamar's. Faces of Siouxland Multicultural Fair is March 17th. The 2024 Faces of Siouxland Multicultural Fair will be held March 17th at the Sioux City Convention Center, 801 4th Street. This free event, which runs from 12 to 4 p.m. and is organized by the Sioux City Human Rights Commission, celebrates the community's diversity through a blend of music, dance, art, and culture foods. Local businesses will offer arts, services, and culture items to purchase. Local organizations and agencies will also have a variety of free giveaways and informational booths. Kids can enjoy supervised activities at the Kids Space, which features free arts, crafts, and face painting. Free parking is available nearby at the Discovery Parking Ramp. Limited spaces are still open for vendors and entertainers. Contact the Human Rights Commission at 712-279-6985 to secure a spot. Sergeant Bluff Man arrested in string of Sioux City burglaries. Sioux City Police investigating a Morningside burglary arrested a man suspected of committing a string of burglaries in Sioux City and Sergeant Bluff in recent months. Officers were dispatched to a home in the 2600 block of South Coral Street at 5.28 a.m. Monday after a woman reported she had awakened and found a man inside her home. The suspect ran from the house and was apprehended by police after a short foot pursuit. The suspect was identified as Caden Anton Miller, who police suspect of other burglaries. Anton Miller, 20, of Sergeant Bluff, was booked into the Woodbury County Jail on two counts of second-degree burglary, five counts of attempted second-degree burglary, and single counts of third-degree burglary, motor vehicle theft, operating a vehicle without owner's consent, theft, eluding, and a failure to obey a police officer. According to a records search on 
online, Iowa Courts Online. Anton Miller previously was charged with stealing a vehicle in Sergeant Bluff in April, and in June he was arrested in a warrant charging him with selling drugs to a person under age 18 and an April burglary in Sergeant Bluff. He has pleaded not guilty to all charges and is scheduled to stand trial in March and April in separate cases. At the time of Monday's arrest, Anton Miller was free after posting bond after his previous arrests. Sioux City Man Charged with Stabbing Man in Face A Sioux City man is, is in custody after police say he stabbed another man in the face early Monday. C. Tusipa, 24, was booked into the Woodbury County Jail on a charge of willful injury, causing serious injury, a Class C felony that carries a 10-year prison sentence. Bond was set at $25,000. Sipa is accused of taking part in an altercation with a Lamar's man at 12.41 a.m. at 2601 Douglas Street. According to a complaint filed in Woodbury County District Court, Sipa used a knife to stab and cut the victim in the face, nearly striking his eye. Witnesses identified Sipa as an assailant, and the incident was captured on video. The victim was transported to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Sioux City Police Sergeant Thomas Gill said officers had been dispatched to the same address about three hours earlier for another fight in which Sippa allegedly was involved. Witnesses to that fight said Sippa was armed with a knife, but officers who responded to the call did not observe one, Gill said. Lawrence Man Fined for Livestock Neglect A Lawrence, Iowa cattle owner has been fined after pleading guilty to failing to provide adequate feed and water to a herd of cattle and causing the death of two of them. Brent Sfuba, 39, pleaded guilty in Clay County District Court to one count of animal neglect, serious injury or death, a serious misdemeanor. District Associate Judge Andrew Smith ordered him to pay a $430 fine plus court costs and surcharges. Sfuba was arrested September 26 after Clay County Sheriff's Office received a report of malnourished cattle in a pasture in rural Reb. A, an investigation determined two cattle had died from malnutrition, malnourishment and a lack of water. The other cattle appeared gaunt and thin and had apparently gone an extended period of time without feed, according to court documents. The cattle were moved to another location where they could be returned to health. Walt Hill Man Gets Federal Prison for Shooting A Walt Hill, Nebraska man has been sentenced to six years in federal prison for shooting another man in the pinky. Dante Stabler, 23, pleaded guilty in November in U.S. District Court in Omaha to one count of assault with a dangerous weapon with intent to do bodily harm. A charge of using, carrying, or possessing a firearm during a violent crime was dismissed. The victim confronted Stabler on February 22nd in Macy about his stolen vehicle. Stabler is accused of firing a shot from a pistol into the pavement. The victim then charged Stabler and grabbed the pistol. When the victim grabbed the gun, Stabler fired a second shot, striking the victim's finger. While the victim was at the hospital in Winnebago, a nurse notified the FBI of the shooting and the FBI began an investigation. Now for the regular Tuesday column, five questions with, and today it is River Cade's Phil Clay's on community engagement. Phil Clay's could be called Mr. Sioux City. 
The Sioux City resident is front and center in the long list of Rivercade-related events. He has kept busy helping to organize Riversance Renaissance Festival, the Rivercade Parade, Cardboard Sled Races, Bluegills and Bluegrass Festival, Fishing Derby, and Barstool Open. He has been Rivercade coordinator for 22 years. He was born in Akron, Iowa, moving to Sioux City at the age of four. He has owned a few businesses in Sioux City over the years. He worked in the family business Clay's Brothers Moving and Storage off and on over the years. Right now, he is hoping for snow at Cone Park for next Sunday's cardboard sled races since the recent warm weather has fouled conditions for the races. And now for the questions. First question, how did your involvement in community projects begin? Answer, even as a young person, I was open to being involved in projects that helped build a sense of appreciation and the sense of community in Siouxland. Question, what do you enjoy about your work? Answer, I enjoy responding to common goals with like-minded folks. What is your favorite event or effort you have been involved with? Twenty-some years ago, I helped create the Rivercade Youth Fishing Derby at Bacon Creek Park. Since then, we have taken over 10,000 Siouxland youth ages 4 to 12 fishing and fully equipped them with a new rod, reel, tackle box, and a wonderful fishing experience. We have also given away over 600 bicycles. I firmly believe if you want to spend quality time with a child, take them fishing. That is what we have done and we'll do it again on June 1st. I am very proud of my part in this wonderful Hooked on Fishing, Not on Drugs event and its outcomes. What does community service mean to you? If you are an active member of our community and are offered the opportunity to simply improve the overall quality of life around you, it is a blessing and a privilege that you can and you do. And then the last question, what do you like to do for fun? I enjoy the company of my family and friends with the song of Thanksgiving in my heart. Mid-American settles lawsuit with contractor. Mid-American Energy has reached a $200,000 settlement of a lawsuit filed by a contractor that had been hired for demolition work at Mid-American's Port Neal Complex. Stryker Demolition and Environmental Service of King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, had sued for breach of contract in April 2022, saying the behavior of Mid-American's representative for a decommissioning and demolition project caused delays and cost overruns to the project. Stryker had sought more than $1.4 million in the lawsuit, which was filed in Woodbury County District Court. A settlement was reached in January, and the case was dismissed Thursday. Mid-American considers this a fair resolution and it is based solely on the amount of work actually performed under the demolition contract, company spokesman Jeff Greenwood said. The companies entered into a contract in July 2020 for the decommissioning and demolition of power generating units 1 and 2, which the company retired at the rural Woodbury County plant in 2016. Stryker said in a lawsuit that Mid-American's appointed representative to the project told Stryker's president he had no experience in decommissioning and had no idea why he was assigned to the project. Stryker said Mid-American's appointee was hostile and abusive, forced Stryker to hire his friends as subcontractors, and made constant threats to shut the project down and place Stryker in default if the company did not meet his demands. Mid-American later removed his representative. 
but disputed Stryker's claim of cost overruns and outstanding costs. Greenwood said Stryker did not complete the work for which it was contracted, but it was later completed through other resources. Reward fund for missing Wall Lake trucker climbs to $27,800. The reward fund for a missing Wall Lake, Iowa trucker now exceeds $27,000. Sac County Crime Stoppers, which manages funds used for law enforcement investigations in the Northwest Iowa County, announced in a Facebook post Sunday that up to $27,800 is being offered for information leading to the location of 53-year-old David Schultz or an arrest and consequent conviction in Schultz's case. In January, the Sac County Board of Supervisors unanimously voted to use $25,000 of American Rescue Plan Act funds for the reward. The rest of the money being offered for information consists of ongoing contributions that the community has provided to the Sac County Crime Stoppers account for David Schultz specifically, the Pulse read. Schultz, a married father of 10-year-old twin boys vanished before Thanksgiving. He was last heard from in the early morning hours of November 21st, according to the Lakeview Police Department. Schultz's red Peterbilt semi with white straps was stripes was found the afternoon of November 21st, parked in the middle of the northbound lane of County Road N14, not far from where it intersects with D15 in northeastern Sac County. The trailer he rents was loaded with pigs, but Schultz was nowhere to be found on that stretch of paved roadway, which is flanked by cornfields. Anyone with information concerning Schultz's disappearance is asked to call the Sac County Communications Center at 712-662-7127 or email tips at saccountyiowa.gov. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Tuesday, February 13th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now go to the uh, obituaries printed in today's paper. John Jack Monkey, and that's spelled M-A-H-N-K-E, 85, of Sioux City, passed away on Friday, February 9th. Funeral services will be held at 10 a.m. Friday, February 16th at Redeemer Lutheran Church. Visitation with the family will be Thursday, February 15th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Meyer Brothers Morningside Chapel. Burial will be at Memorial Park Cemetery. Jack was born April 6, 1938 in Sioux City, the son of Jack, John, and Selma Mankey. He grew up in the South Bottoms area of Sioux City, a place which held dear memories for him. In 1956, he graduated from Central High School. He then served in the United States Navy as a hospital corpsman stationed in Okinawa, the Philippines, and Taiwan. After his time in the service, Jack attended Universal Trade School in Omaha. He later returned to Sioux City, owned a gas station on Dace Avenue, then opened his own business, Mankey's heating and cooling, which proudly served Sioux City for over 25 years. He retired and sold his business in 1994, and then ventured into property ownership in Sioux City and Sergeant Bluff, which kept him busy in his later life. On October 17, 1964, Jack married Linda Pauling in Paulina, Iowa. 
Together they were a dynamic team that left a lasting imprint on the lives they touched. A beautiful union that put family first while raising three children, Jamie, Lori, and Ryan, yet at the same time owning and operating their own business. It was clear that his family was the cornerstone of his happiness. Jack was involved in his children's activities. He coached softball and was a founding member of Siouxland Youth Athletics and served on the board as vice president. East High softball was a big part of his life as well as a parent, grandparent, and volunteer. He also coached basketball during the early years of the formation of Hayworth Hoops. On December 22, 2002, his partner and friend in life, Linda, passed away. His heart broke and he bravely began the next part of his life. During his 21 years after losing Linda, Jack was an extraordinary example of living with an open, loving heart, of courage and caring, trying new things, all along keeping his sense of humor, which all, we all know and love. He began dancing at the Eagles Club and wintering in Texas. He bought an RV and enjoyed fishing trips. His grandchildren were the heart of those years as well. He loved being their bumpa, watching them grow up and being involved in their lives. We cannot also think of Jack without thinking of him as a friend and the friendships that he had throughout his life. Friends from playing fast-pitch softball at Hubbard Park, coffee buddies, Central College softball friends, dancing friends, Texas friends, too many to mention. With his fun-loving spirit, Jack made friends wherever he was and was loved by many. Jack lived each of his 85 years to the fullest. He accomplished so much in life. All of us loved Jack, whether he was a friend, coach, brother, husband, father, bumpa. We all love him and will miss him. Richard Dick Jorstead, 90, of Sioux City, passed away on Tuesday, February 6th, at his residence. A funeral mass will be held at 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 16th, at Blessed Sacrament Catholic Church. Visitation will be one hour prior to the service. Burial will be at Memorial Park Cemetery. Arrangements are under the direction of Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel. Dick was born on January 24, 1934 in Sioux City, the son of John and Nellie Jorstedt. Throughout his life, Dick was very proud of his Norwegian heritage. He grew up in Sioux City and graduated from Central High School in 1952, then went on to attend Iowa State University. In 1955, he joined the United States Army, serving active duty for two years before transferring to the Army Reserves, where he continued his service for an additional six years. On June 20, 1959, Dick married Sarah DeWitt at Blessed Sacrament Church in Sioux City. To this union, they welcomed two children, John and Julie. Sarah preceded Dick in death on February 2, 2023 in Sioux City. Dick was a lifelong Sioux City resident and he and Sarah made their home at the top of the hill on Summit Street for over 50 years where he was lovingly referred by his friends and neighbors as the mayor of 28th and Summit. Dick worked several years for Strand Steel in the steel building industry, then moving to modern materials which eventually became modern kitchen design. Dick continued with modern kitchen design until his retirement. Within the community, Dick was involved with the Noon Sir Toma Club and the Yellow Dog Auction Group. He was a longtime member of Blessed Sacrament Church in Sioux City, as well as a member of the Sioux City Country Club where he was an avid golfer and achieved a whopping four holes in one. 
and met many friends. One of his friends reminisced that there was never a stranger to Dick when he was on the golf course. He was also a member of Bridge Club along with Sarah and a member of the Home Builders Association. Dick and Sarah enjoyed traveling with their children to Florida where Dick loved spending his time golfing. In lieu of flowers, memorial donations may be made in Dick's name to either Blessed Sacrament Catholic Church or Siouxland Catholic Radio. Molly Ann F. Hikes, 92, of Dakota City, Nebraska, died Saturday, February 10th, at home. Celebration of Life will be at 1 p.m. Saturday, February 24th, at Salem Lutheran Church in Dakota City. Visit with her daughters at Molly Ann's home this week. Moore and Becker Hunt Funeral Home are handling the arrangements. Roger B. Miller a funeral mass for Roger B. Miller, age 71, of Sioux City, will be at 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 16th, at St. Peter's Catholic Church in Ewing, Nebraska. Burial will be at 1.30 p.m. at the O'Neill Cemetery in O'Neill. Arrangements are under the direction of Biglands Mortuary in O'Neill. And that uh, completes the obituaries for today. We'll now move on to another story about the Sioux City uh, Council. A property near the airport uh, is site of historic World War II era chapel. The Sioux City Council took a step Monday to open up two parcels of land at Sioux Gateway Airport's entrance for commercial development. The council, by voting in favor of its consent agenda, approved a resolution that will initiate a three-step urban renewal process to solicit proposals from interested developers. The parcels of land are located at the northeast and southeast corners of Aviation and Discovery Boulevards. Both parcels currently contain some rental housing units and one is home to a historic World War II era chapel, which has been vacant for a number of years. Over the past several months, the city has received several leads from developers interested in purchasing and developing the properties. The commercial interest has ranged from lodging to an office building. Before the vote, Mayor Bob Scott asked that the resolution be amended to require the successful bidder to show proof of financing for the project within 30 days of the award. Scott's amendment passed unanimously. Scott said, we don't need speculation on land, we need development. We, need, we have speculation lately rather than development. Last week, Economic Development Director Marty Dowdery told the journal the land actually belongs to the city-owned airport. The FAA's approval to sell the land had to be obtained, as well as an appraisal. When the land is ultimately sold, Dowdery said the airport must receive the fair market value for the land. If the city would discount the land, he said it could use tax increment financing, or TIF, or some other means to reimburse the airport. Mayor Pro Tem Dan Moore told the journal the city has agreed to pay for the relocation of the historic chapel and is working on finalizing a site for it. He said the city would like to keep the chapel in the area of its current location, but he said the site needs to be on flat ground away from the land the city wants to develop. Moore said on Friday, we need to get some numbers on having a foundation for it to sit on, so we're in that process right now. I'm hopeful that we will be able to get that accomplished to clear the land for future development that the city's looking at. We probably should get it moved by springtime when the weather is a little bit nicer. We'll now move to some stories about the Iowa legislature. And this first one is lawmakers advance bill for Iowa schools to arm staff. 
Iowa House Republican lawmakers advanced a bill through a subcommittee Monday to create a pathway for Iowa school districts to arm train staff. The legislation would also require Iowa's 11 largest school districts, among them Cedar Rapids, Davenport, Council Bluffs, Iowa City, and Sioux City, to have at least one private security guard or school resource officer in each district high school. The fastest way to respond to a school shooting is to have armed personnel on site, trained and available to respond at a moment's notice, said Representative Phil Thompson, Republican from Boone, lead sponsor of the bill and chair of the House Public Safety Committee. With this bill, we create a new permit with a strict training reg regimen that will result in more men and women in school buildings ready to respond to keep students safe, said Thompson, who voted Monday, along with Representative Schuyler Wheeler, a Republican from Hull, to advance the bill to the full House Sa Public Safety Committee. Wheeler also chairs the House Education Committee. The move comes in the wake of a shooting last month at Perry High School that killed 11-year-old Amir Joliffe, a sixth grader, and Principal Dan Marburger. Six other people were injured in the shooting. The 17-year-old student who opened, the, opened fire died of apparent self-inflicted gunshot. Marburger was critically injured during the January 4th attack, which began in the school's cafeteria as students were gathering for breakfast before class. The longtime Iowa principal has been hailed as a hero for sacrificing his life to save students. The day after the shooting, the State Department of Public Safety said Marburger acted selflessly and placed himself in harm's way in an apparent effort to protect his students. Law enforcement, family members, and school officials have said Marburger approached and tried to calm the teenage gunman, giving other students time to escape. Representative Beth Wessel Koschel, a Democrat from Ames, voted against the bill, saying students would be less safe. Opponents said an armed teacher is much more likely to shoot a student bystander or be shot by responding law enforcement than to be an effective solution to an active shooter in a school. Wessel Croshaw noted the only armed school resource officer at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, failed to confront the school shooter and stayed outside during the February 2018 massacre. People who are fully trained and that's their job, have a hard time protecting our students. We are asking teachers who have a completely different skill set to do this, she said. Rather, lawmakers should instead pursue an evidence-based intervention plan that addresses school violence, Westman Koshal said. Most professional education organizations have rejected the call to arm teachers, as has the National Association of School Resource Officers and the American Bar Association. House Study Bill 675, titled the Students First Safety Act, would create a new permit that allows employees at Iowa's public and private schools and colleges to carry a firearm. Employees would be required to undergo a one-time in-person legal training, including training on qualified immunity, annual emergency medical training, and annual communication training approved by the Iowa Department of Public Safety. This bill would also require the Department of Public Safety to host an annual live scenario training and quarterly live firearm training for school employees of educational institutions that opt into the program. School staff issued a professional permit to carry weapons by the Department of Public Safety and who are up to date on their training would also be entitled 
to qualified immunity from criminal and civil liability for all damages incurred pursuant to the application of reasonable force at the place of employment. The bill does not specify which type of firearm staff would be allowed to carry, who would supply the firearms to school staff, or how they would be secured and stored. The Spirit Lake and Cherokee School Districts rescinded policies last summer allowing trained staff to carry guns within the schools, which Iowa law already allows, to avoid being dropped by their insurance carrier after attempts to fund, find other insurers failed. District officials cited the 2022 mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, as one of the reasons for wanting to arm staff. The district's insurance carrier, EMC Insurance Company, said it insures districts that provide qualified law enforcement officers in school, but that coverage does not extend to armed teachers or school staff. Some supporters of the bill said providing qualified immunity insulating armed school staff from legal liability will help, while others said the insurance issue still needs to be addressed for districts that wish to move forward with selecting, training, and equipping armed staff. Angela Olson, Director of Special Projects for the Spirit Lake School District, said her district had armed staff for six months before rescinding the program after struggling to find an insurance carrier. Olson said having a school resource officer in the high school isn't enough. Catherine Lucas, a lawyer with the Iowa Department of Public Safety, told lawmakers the agency has a lot of unanswered questions about the bill, like what kind of weapons would school staff be allowed to carry and who would do the required training for armed school staff. HSB 675 also mandates that school districts with a student population of at least 8,000 are required to have at least one armed private security guard or school resource office in each district high school. School districts would not receive additional funding to cover the cost, but could apply for up to $50,000 in financial assistance through a new school security personnel grant program that would be established by the Iowa Department of Education. For districts with a student population of less than 8,000, it would be optional to require armed security at high schools. Iowa lawmakers want to require labels for manufactured meat. Alternative meat products would need to be labeled with information about their contents under a bill that received preliminary approval in the Iowa Senate on Monday. Senate Study Bill 3162 targets manufactured meat, products that are similar to meat from slaughtered animals, but that are derived from stem cell cultures, insects, and plants. The bill requires a label on the products that explain their sources to distinguish them from traditional meat. Failure to include that information or describing the products with a term identifiable with the slaughter of a food animal would be a crime. Nearly a dozen states have enacted labeling laws in recent years. It's going to be a huge issue. Senator Don Driscoll, Republican from Williamsburg, said of full meat products competing with farm-produced meat. We want to make sure that we are supporting the livestock producers. Misbranding the meat products would be a simple misdemeanor, punishable by up to 30 days in jail and a fine of up to $855. Driscoll led a subcommittee that unanimously recommended the bill for further consideration. Senators Tony Bisignano, de Democrat from Des Moines, and Ken Rosenboom, Republican from Oskaloosa, also supported the bill. Iowa cattle producers work very hard every day to bring nutritious meat to market, said Jake Swanson, the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. He added, we support fair competition in the market, but we also need honesty. We'll now move to the sports section, and we're going to be having an article about high school wrestling. SBL sends nine to state tourney. Sioux Center High School wrestling teams 
Jacques Zomerman went to guest one of his best friends with IHSAA Class 2A State Individual Western Tournament spot on the line. In the heavyweight title bout at the Class 2A Region 8 State Qualifying Tournament on Saturday in Sioux Center, Zomerman looked to be on the defensive and on the cusp of being taken down by Western Christian senior Brooks McFarland. Brooks and I have been friends since kindergarten, Zomerman uh, said. Finally, being a heavyweight and being able to wrestle him was awesome. He's a great high-character person. I can't think of anyone I'd rather get my 100th win over than him. We bring out the best in each other. But the 285-pounder flipped the script on McFarland, who will also go to state as runner-up, and got a spinning takedown of the Wolfpack heavyweight, which ultimately led to the pinfall for what was Zomerman's 100th career win. That was pretty special, the senior said. I just wanted to win the match first and foremost, but the rest just came with it. I was focused on winning, but it's a lot to take in. I've been working a lot over the off-season and came into this year ready. The Sioux Center wrestling team's presence at the state tournament will be greatly enhanced this time around. The state tournament gets started on Wednesday. Last season, the Warriors took just two wrestlers to the Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines for the state championship. It's great to be going with so many teammates, said Sioux Center senior Cade Bauer, now a third-time qualifier after he moved to 26-9 on the season by a three-minute pin of MOC Floyd Valley Jr. Dayton Ulrich in the title bout. There was a lot of great performances after sending just two last year. It just shows how hard we have been working. This season, Sioux Center played host to Class 2A's District 8 state qualifier and finished runner-up as a team while qualifying half of its lineup for state. Sergeant Bluff Luton won the team district title by amassing 206.5 points at Sioux Center's high school on Saturday and will send nine wrestlers to state while the Warriors scored 195 on their home mats and will take seven. West Lyon, MLC Floyd Valley, and Sheldon Smith O'Brien, South O'Brien, rounded out the top five teams. Before Bauer got to square off against Ulrich, he beat West Lyon junior Corey Moser by a 10-3 decision. As runner-up, Ulrich will also be heading to the state at 144. Bauer will be joined by teammate and 215-pound champion senior Brody Van Regenmorder, Van Rigamorter pinned fellow state qualifier Lucas Coima in under four minutes in the championship round. I look forward to going with a bunch of guys this time, Bauer said. It's going to be a lot of fun. When you get there for the first time, it's just kind of a shock. It's helpful to have been there before and know that uh, how it happens at state. It's been a big week for Bauer and Regenmorter as both signed their national letters of intent to play football next fall at NAIA runner-up Northwestern College days before clinching a spot at state. I'm really proud of both, Bauer said. It's a lot of pressure off me, getting a lot of stuff done here in a short amount of time. Sergeant Bluff Luton's run got going at 113, where 11th ranked Jace Curie, a sophomore, won a 10-5 decision over West Lyon's sixth-ranked sophomore Evan Erpenbach, who finished as runner-up to advance despite the loss. Getting to the championship was far from a guaranteed state spot, though, as there were seven Russellbacks among the 14 weights. One of those was won by SBL's 120-pounder Cam Keokon, 
after he was pinned by 7th-ranked West Lion sophomore Ryan Bonson with five seconds left in the third period. The Warriors senior moved on with a first-period pin over MLC Floyd Valley freshman Delby Philippe in the wrestleback. At 126, SBL 7th-ranked senior Ethan Skogland recorded a pin in under 40 seconds in the semifinals, then a 17-2 technical fall over Sheldon South O'Brien Jr. Josh Hoffman in the championship bout before Hoffman earned a spot in Des Moines with a pin of Sioux Center sophomore Justin Romo in the wrestleback. Spirit Lake Park got a qualifier and district champion at 132, where junior Levi Dunn closed the tournament with three pinfalls. SBL senior Cassidy Craig lost in the title ball, but won his wrestle back as the other qualifier at 132. Fresh off its best finish at state team duels. 2A runner-up Sergeant Bluff-Luton will also take grapplers at 106 and fre as freshman Drake Howard, 138 senior Dalton Van Wy, 150 junior Aiden McRoberts, 157 number two ranked junior Bo Codem, and 165 fifth ranked junior Zavian Ellington. All but Howard were district champs. Howard was beaten 4-2 decision by Sioux Center sophomore Bryce Ustenick. As runner-ups to SBL wrestlers, Region 8 advanced Spirit Lake Park Jr. Uh, Landon Whitrock at 138, Sioux Center senior Cole Hoyer at 150, West Lion junior Gage Blowweight at 157, and senior 165-pounded James Bullerman of West Lion. And at 190, senior Jarrett Roos remained undefeated by going 24-0 en route to a district title. It's been a long road, Roos said. I got hurt at the state tournament last year and really did not start wrestling until Christmas break of this year. That's a long time to go without wrestling. That really took a toll on both my mind and body, but I had some great people around me and put my nose to the grindstone and got back after it. Mentally, this year has had a bigger impact on me than physically. Whether it was my shoulder or my knee, I got some. I had some doubt. I'm not going to lie. I just had a great support staff that kept pushing me to get where I am. For Wu's ranked number two, it was a moment to celebrate a return trip to state after injuries put his future over, over the past year. Growing up, I was also preached to about domination on the mat, he said. You always have to be trying to get that next point, the last point, whether you're on top, bottom, neutral. Never let the clock hit zero without scoring a point. If I can do that, I feel pretty good for myself. I feel stronger than I was at this time last year. I think about that state semifinal loss at last year's state tournament every day. And now we'll move to Dear Abby. My, my sister-in-law was on my wife's side, stayed a week and a half with us in Florida. I love her very much and we all had a lovely visit. She has stayed with us before, alone and with my brother-in-law. We welcome them with open arms. Family means a lot to us. Now to the problem. After she left, I found an envelope with a thank you card and $200 in it. I feel insulted as they are always welcome here. We are not a and b This is the first time something like this has happened. We have a nice home, but my wife was complaining about money issues in front of our company. We are going through a rough patch at the moment, but we are not broke or destitute. Compared to us, my in-laws are wealthy. My ego is bruised. We are better off than most people and are blessed with all we do have. I want to send the money back with a gracious thank you note, but my wife says no. I am angry with her as well. Was she out of line for not keeping our money situation private? 
signed fuming in Florida. And the response, please don't be angry about the gift, which was given with love. Write the sister-in-law a gracious thank you note. Keep the money and tell her she doesn't need to give you more because your situation isn't dire. I don't think your wife was out of line. I think she was simply chatting with her sister when she made the remark. And that does it for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Tuesday, February 13th. I am Dagna, your reader today. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And thank you for listening. Roxanne Watson is on a mission. Hello, how are you doing today? She wants more people to register as organ, eye, and tissue donors. Are you an organ donor? Yes, I am. Yay. My goal is to sign up the most people in the United States. <laughs> what drives her? Roxanne's own life was saved through the gift of a heart transplant, made possible by an organ donor. I decided that day that I was going to devote myself to the cause of organ donation and signing people up and honoring my donor by doing that. Now she's back to health, and she's a powerful force, helping to save lives every day through her work. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Eight people can be helped with the major organs, and up to 50 people can be helped with a little bit of everything. And when you think about it that way, that you could help that many people, it's amazing. It really is. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.